Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this week's episode, Father covers paragraphs 1285 to 1321, What is Confirmation? Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again this, this time, this week. Um, we are continuing our progress through part two of the Catechism. <clears throat> the part is entitled, The Celebration of the Christian Mysteries, which covers our, the sacraments, um, the, uh, primarily the celebration of the sacraments. Uh, the first two sessions we talked about liturgy, this work of God and of God's people on behalf of the people, in which um, the gifts of salvation, the gifts of grace, um, the mysteries of Christ and his life are made present to us, are given to us. And this primarily happens in the sacraments, the seven sacraments. The Catechism divides the seven sacraments, although the Catechism says that they can be divided in other different ways. Nonetheless, the Catechism divides the sacraments into three groupings. The sacraments of initiation, the sacraments of healing, and the sacraments of service. We're covering, um, or we have been covering, the sacraments of initiation. Last week, we covered baptism. And then this week, we're going to cover the sacrament of confirmation. The other sacrament of initiation is the Eucharist. The Catechism says, though, that the Eucharist is in some ways the most important of the sacraments, all of the sacraments point to the Eucharist. And so, as I said last time, the Eucharist has this initiation component. By our reception of Holy Communion, we are um, fully and publicly professing our, our membership of the Church, our union with the Church. The Eucharist is also a sacrament of healing in the sense that it does remit, it does forgive venial sins. We're going to cover next week the Eucharist. And then the Eucharist does enable us to live our vocation. So in that sense, it might seem like a stretch, but it is a sacrament of service. So the sacrament of confirmation... 
We begin with paragraph 1285, which, re- which reminds us precisely what I've just reminded you, is that baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation constitute the sacraments of Christian initiation. Then the Catechism goes on in the same paragraph to say that the reception of the sacrament of confirmation is necessary is necessary for the completion of baptismal grace. So what we're going to see and discover as we go through all the seven sacraments is that in some way all of the seven sacraments are necessary in some way. Confirmation is necessary because it necessarily completes baptism, the graces of baptism. How does it complete baptism, the graces of baptism? It more perfectly binds us to the church, so that's the first. It more perfectly binds us to the church. Second, it gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit. The word confirmation, if we, if we take it, let me write it bigger here, so big that it won't fit. In the middle of it is this word firm. It strengthens us. Confirmation strengthens us. In this section on the Catechism, so that really was just, uh, 1285 is really just an intro paragraph, kind of setting us all up, the general themes. If you really want to read the entire Catechism in one setting, you can just kind of pick some of these paragraphs. 1285 gives you a very basic summary of what confirmation is. So the Catechism divides its treatment of confirmation just as it did with baptism and as it will with the others. First, and it's all based on that general definition of the the sacraments, that they are outward signs instituted by Christ to give grace. So first, the Catechism is going to talk about how confirmation is connected to the economy of salvation. Part of that is how Christ institutes this sacrament. So what we're going to kind of start with is how is, it, how is this sacrament instituted by Christ? The second um, part will be on the celebration of confirmation. So the outward sign of confirmation. And then the third, which is entitled, The Effects of Confirmation, 
deals with the graces. And then the catechism ends um, by talking about who can receive the sacrament and who can give the sacrament, which are in some ways part of this outward sign. So, the confirmation in the economy of salvation. Paragraph 1286 does a brief summary. First of all, it tells us that confirmation is pointed to in the prophets of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, that the Spirit of the Lord would come to rest on this Messiah and on his saving mission. Second, That paragraph points to us that really the the institution of this sacrament, part of the institution of this sacrament, is the descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus at his baptism. And the promise of this Holy Spirit. That paragraph ends... Jesus, he, was conceived of the Holy Spirit. His whole life and his whole mission are carried out in total communion with the Holy Spirit, whom the Father gives him without measure. I think this paragraph 1286 is really important, not only um, because it kind of gives us a summary of the next couple paragraphs, which it's always good. You know, the catechism repeats itself over and over again. But there's, a, there's some really beautiful application, or, or not so much application, but connections with this paragraph. It's really talking about the anointing of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the word Christ means the anointed one, that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit, who visibly descends upon him at his baptism in the Jordan. So we might point to the baptism in the Jordan as his anointing. But in some sense, his anointing is, it's even before that, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then also, his whole life here on earth, But even his whole mission, which is something eternal, that he's been sent by the Father, is in communion and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So why is it that the Catechism is talking about Jesus' anointing and his special relationship, his missional relationship, that he and the Holy Spirit have this joint mission together, Why is it that the Catechism brings this up in Confirmation? Because it's really precisely what the Sacrament of Confirmation is all about. We are in the Sacrament of Confirmation, not just kind of finished with our baptism, but really we are drawn in a a deeper share in in Christ's mission and work and relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
At our baptism, the Father says to us, This is my beloved Son, this is my beloved daughter, and who I am well pleased. We are born again by baptism. In the sacrament of confirmation, we are, in a sense, joined with the Holy Spirit to continue the mission of Jesus Christ. Paragraph 1287. The fullness of the Spirit was not to remain uniquely the Messiah's, but was to be communicated to the whole Messianic people. So if you remember that passage from Numbers, where Moses um, elects the, you know, there's these elders, these 70 elders, and he asks, he prays that the Holy Spirit might come upon them. The Lord had promised that the Spirit would be upon them. And um, there are two that are in the camp who weren't there with the rest of the elders. But the Spirit, they were on the list, but the Spirit nonetheless falls upon them. Um, and people complain, like, what are they doing? You know, what, what's going on here? And Moses says, would that all of God's people... Um, be filled with the Spirit or, or be prophets, is what he says. And that is the sense is God's plan is not just that he send one anointed Messiah, but that all of God's people be anointed. His plan was not just to send one Messiah to save the world, but to send a people who cooperate with that Messiah. And so 1287 points to where is it that the sacrament is instituted? If this sacrament is about us sharing as a people in Christ's anointed messianic role, where is he instituted? Well, he institutes it in two points. First, as we hear in John's Gospel, on Easter Sunday when he came to the apostles and he breathes on them, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you, he says. And he breathes on them. The second is, and the Catechism says more strikingly, at Pentecost. So last time we met, baptism is instituted at Christ's baptism in the Jordan. Confirmation is instituted at Pentecost. In 1288, we have some scripture passages that are noted in the footnote that I wanted to mention. One, because I didn't want to cheat you out of a whole hour, and we may get through this material in under an hour, so I thought I would supplement a little bit just uh, so you get your money's worth. Um, In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 
um, two, one, well, one and two. Therefore, let us leave behind the basic teaching about Christ and advance to maturity without laying the foundation all over again. What is that foundation? This is, this is me speaking, not the scripture. Repentance from dead works and faith in God. Then verse 2, instruction about baptism and laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that the basic message, the basic catechesis, is that we need to repent from sin, from dead works, and have faith in God, surrender to God, and then be instructed about the need for baptism, and then this other thing called laying on of hands, laying on of hands, which is somehow different than baptism. That, brothers and sisters, is the sacrament of confirmation. So Hebrews, the reason why the catechism calls these things the sacraments of initiation, one of the reasons why that baptism and confirmation are considered sacraments of initiation, is that that's the basic, that's the foundation on those two sacraments that everything is going to be built. In Acts, we also have references to the sacrament of confirmation. In Acts chapter 8, um, 14 and 15, this is the Simon Magus. It sounds worse in Latin, Simon the Magician. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, They sent them Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Spirit. So that's 14, verses 14 through 17, um, Acts chapter 8, 14 through 17. So they had been baptized, but they had not had the laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. Again, brothers and sisters, that's the sacrament of confirmation. Again, in Acts 19, verses 4 through 7, Uh, Paul is in Ephesus. Paul then said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 men. So they were first baptized, and then Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the sacrament of confirmation. So we see it being practiced in the early church, in the Church of the Acts, and in Hebrews as well. 
The imposition, the catechism tells us, the imposition of hands is rightly recognized by the Catholic tradition as the origin of the sacrament of confirmation, which in a certain way perpetuates the grace of Pentecost in the church. Um, to stumble into a minor point of controversy um, is that um, we really do need to understand those passages in the light of the whole faith in that that imposition of hands, that laying on of hands is a sacramental gesture. It is the sacrament of confirmation. If that's and if that's and that's the correct way if that's how we look at this it gives us a healthy ecclesial understanding of evangelization and especially of the new evangelization there are several outpourings of the holy spirit in in the acts of the apostles now are those outpourings Something new and unprecedented as if it was a new Pentecost? Or is it more of a lowercase new Pentecost in the sense of the sacrament of confirmation is perpetuating the gift of Pentecost? That's what's going on. The sacrament of confirmation, as as the catechism says in a certain way, perpetuates the grace of Pentecost in the church. The church doesn't need a new Pentecost. It already has a new Pentecost in the sacrament of confirmation. All we need to do is understand it correctly and be open to receive what the sacrament of confirmation is offering. So if we approach the sacrament of confirmation and preparation for the sacrament of confirmation with an open heart and in a right way, we will experience the grace of Pentecost. Twelve eighty nine. In addition to the laying on of hands, which is closely, closely. Um, connected to this sacrament. Um, The catechism mentions an anointing with perfumed oil, what is called chrism. chrism. So chrism is is a type of olive oil that has been, something has been added to it. A perfume has been added to it to give it an odor, a pleasant odor. Not that olive oil in itself doesn't smell good, but this kind of gives it an added bonus. So early in the church's life, in addition to the imposition of hands, a use of anointed perfumed oil, um, chrism, was also part of the sacrament. In the Eastern Church, they still call this sacrament, confirmation, they call it chrismation, chrismation, to emphasize that anointing aspect of it. 
Why would they use anointing? Well, anointing strongly points to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and that we share in the sacrament in Christ's anointing in the Holy Spirit. In, in the um, West, we refer to the sacrament as confirmation to emphasize that it really confirms and strengthens us in our resolve to live our baptism. Which, if, you, if we reflect on those passages from Acts of the Apostles, is precisely what's going on. When they impose these, their hands, when they lay hands on these people who have been baptized, they're really, one, they're unleashing the full anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them, and they're strengthening what was started in their baptism. We've already kind of indicated this, and in fact, um, I think in the question session on baptism, we talked about that there are two traditions that have emerged in regards to infant baptism and also with confirmation. And so the catechism, um, again, talks about this, that there are these two traditions It tells us, the Catechism tells us, in the first centuries, confirmation generally comprised one single celebration with baptism, forming what we might call a double sacrament. That's what St. Cyprian um, says, St. Cyprian of, of Carthage, who's a very early father of the church. Among other reasons, um, And here are the reasons why there was a change in practice. So before, if you were baptized, you were confirmed. They just did it, you know, all in one. A double sacrament there. But there were reasons for a change or a development in this practice. First of all, the multiplication of infant baptisms. So because most adults had converted to Christianity, most of the baptisms, therefore, were being infant baptisms. Second, and of course, these infant baptisms, they need to happen all year long. You know, children are not just born in Lent, you know, ready for Easter. Second, an increase of rural parishes. So this word... Pagan, the Latin paganos means country people, country folk. The last people to convert were the people out in the country. And so as rural parishes developed, the bishop, who was the one who baptized everyone, couldn't necessarily get out there. And then the growth of dioceses, So as they became larger geographically, they used to just be little towns and cities. But then they became what we might call whole states. These led in the West to a new practice, which was to reserve the completion of the double sacraments 
to the bishop by delaying confirmation till when the bishop could get there. In the East, they kept the original practice, but instead of the bishop doing it, it would be the priest who would baptize and confirm people. Because of the splitting that happened in the Western Church between these two, sacrament, these two sacraments, after confirmation, there would have been, and there still is, an anointing with chrism, but not in the sense of the sacrament of confirmation, but as something which points to our priestly, prophetic, and kingly offices in Christ. However, if baptism in the West is conferred on an adult, baptism and confirmation happen together at the same Mass. Why are, you know, what are the benefits of these two different traditions? Well, First of all, the Eastern, you know, the positive about the Eastern, and there is no negative, so don't, you know, don't interpret that in the wrong way, but it really shows the unity of baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist together. The benefit of the Latin church, the Western church's practice, is that it emphasizes the important role of the bishop. And, and in that sense, that the church that we are really a member of is the particular church. What is the particular church? The diocese. Rather than emphasizing the parish, it's really the diocese. That's the church. How we share in the universal church is as members of the diocese. And that each of us have an intimate, special connection to the bishop, to the local bishop. In fact, it is the local bishop who is our pastor. And, in some ways, mysteriously, it is the local bishop who presides at every mass in his diocese by delegating priests and pastors to say those masses. So we say that everyone has a personal savior. Everyone has a personal mother in the order of grace, Our Lady. And everyone has a personal successor of the bishop, a successor of the apostles. And that is their bishop. So we re- I think we don't want to lose sight of really the closeness that we should have with our bishop. So this practice in the West of having the bishop come for confirmations um, helps us to remember that. The Catechism in 1293 then moves to the outward sign of the sacrament or the rite, R-I-T-E, of the sacrament. So first of all, 
What are the signs of the sacrament? First is the sign of anointing. It signifies and imprints a spiritual seal on our soul. Anointing is an important symbol throughout the Old Testament. And what is it about oil that's so wonderful? And I think it may be in our culture, you know, we can see the importance of bread. We can see the importance of water. We can probably even see the importance of wine. But what is it about oil that makes oil so important? Well, we know, I mean, you know, it seems to me I'm frying stuff in olive oil every day. Um, It still does have an important role even in our culture where there are no olive trees. But we should be reminded of the multiple uses of oil in the Old Testament and probably in some ways even today. First of all, oil is a sign of abundance and joy. That's throughout the scriptures. Second, it was used to clean people, anointing before and after a bath. So like a soap-like or even a um, cologne or aftershave kind of effect. Or, you know, the um, body washes or something like that. Number three, it limbers. What the heck is limbers? Um, It's used by athletes and wrestlers to help them in their performance. To loosen them up. To recover, we might say. When our muscles are sore. Fourth, oil is a sign of healing. It was used to soothe bruises and wounds. If you ever burn yourself, um, rub olive oil on it. And then sixth, it makes radiant with beauty, health, and strength. It was used as... Um, as a form of makeup. So all of these uses, of course, point to the effects. Some of those um, are contained in the baptismal anointing, the pre-baptismal anointing, especially cleansing. Some of those are expressed in the sacrament of anointing of the sick, the healing the comforting, the limbering role. And then some of them are contained in the use of sacred chrism in confirmation and ordination, especially as a sign of consecration or dedication. This anointing, the catechism emphasizes again, it reminds us that we share in Christ's anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not just anointed in the Holy Spirit. 
but we share in Christ's anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think that's an important point to make. Um, Because the catechism makes it again and again and again. We don't want to lose the centrality of Christ in catechesis, in our understanding of the faith, in the spiritual life, in the sacraments, in everything. Christ is in the center. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's a share in Christ's anointing in the Holy Spirit. Another important point in the sacrament is the sealing effect, that a mark is, is led. Now, I talked last time because there is an indelible mark, there is a seal that is left in baptism. Asphragis is the Greek. But in paragraph 1295, it gives us an understanding of why we use this image of a seal of a tattoo, of a mark. This word sphragis was used in three ways. First of all, as a seal or a sign, as a tattoo, that a person either... So first of all, a seal is a symbol of a person. It's a sign of... Or second, as a sign of personal authority... Or three, as an ownership of an object. So the catechism tells us soldiers were marked with their leader's seal. Slaves were marked with their master's seal. And then certain documents, especially authoritative documents, we do this still with wills, we do this with um, wedding licenses, There's a mark that's put on the document, a seal that is put on the document to note that it is official and that it has a certain authority behind it. This is the same with us. The catechism, interestingly, tells us that this mark that we receive in the sacraments, but most especially because that's what we're talking about today, confirmation, Christ himself declared that he was marked with the Father's seal. That's John chapter 6, verse 27. John chapter 6, verse 27. Let me pull it up here for you all, just in case you don't believe me. Or the catechism. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Christ has been marked by the Father. Now, I don't, I don't have the time right now to talk about precisely how the Son is marked by the Father. But the implications is that the catechism is saying that this seal which we have received is a seal that we belong to Christ 
and is ultimately a share in his seal that he has received from the Father. The sacraments of initiation, we emphasize so much that they're about being initiated into the church, in communion with the church. But we can't be in communion with the church if we're not in communion with Christ. And it is primarily the sacraments of initiation unite us to Christ, and that's what unites us to the church. The catechism then switches to go through the rite of confirmation. First of all, even before the sacrament of confirmation, the catechism mentions that an important part is the, what we call the chrism mass. The chrism mass. This is paragraph 1297. The chrism mass is where the bishop blesses, consecrates the oils that will be used in the sacraments. So even though the bishop doesn't bless chrism when he goes to that parish to visit, our confirmation, the celebration of confirmation, is already mysteriously connected to the larger church because the oils for our confirmation come from that chrism mass, which the bishop does. In the Eastern Church, the priest who confirms you at your baptism has to use oil that is blessed by the bishop. That's one of the ways where the Eastern Church emphasizes the connection to the bishop is that the oil comes from the bishop. So, then the actual rite of confirmation. First of all, the liturgy of confirmation begins with the renewal of baptismal promises and the profession of faith. Why? Because confirmation is completing, is strengthening the graces of our baptism. After the renewal of our baptismal promises... The bishop extends his hands over the whole group of confirmands. So throughout the New Testament, there are different contexts for this phrase, laying on of hands. Some of them, the passages that we've read today, deal with the sacrament of confirmation. There are usages of this phrase, laying on of hands, which clearly indicate the sacrament of holy orders. We're going to talk about those when we get to the sacrament of holy orders. But nonetheless, the, the um, laying on of hands is an essential part of the sacrament of confirmation. The bishop extends hands in this sacrament over the whole group. He doesn't impose on each individual. It's over the whole group. And then he says this very beautiful prayer. All-powerful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by water and the Holy Spirit, you freed your sons and daughters from sin and gave them a new life. Send your Holy Spirit upon them to be their helper and guide. Give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence. 
Fill them with the spirit of wonder and awe in your presence. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So he says that prayer while his hands are extended over the group. 1300, an easy number to remember, says that the essential rite, that which is necessary for this sacrament to be validly conferred, goes as followed. There is an anointing with chrism on the forehead, which is done by the laying on of hands. So even though he's, done his, he's extended his hands over the whole group, as they come forward, he puts one hand generally over their forehead, like, like so, you know, messes up their hair, pushes their um, hair back in case it's a little too low. They don't have receding hairlines yet. And then um, he, anoint, he makes, with the chrism on their forehead, and then he says, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the word. So we talk about the outward sign has matter and form, the form, the words. The words of the sacrament are be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, there's a sign of peace offered. Part of that is to demonstrate a union with the church and a union with the bishop. But also, I think it also evokes from John... The end of John, um, that um, Easter night when Christ, the risen Christ, appears and institutes the sacrament of confirmation. Um, He says, peace be with you, and then he breathes the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. So that sign of peace is, is an important point. The catechism then goes through the effects of the grace. Again, 1302, the primary effect. So we've talked about the outward sign instituted by Christ, now to give grace. If you hearken back to the beginning when we talked about the liturgy, the sacrament, we use the word sacramentum for this sort of outward sign, the mysterium is this, this inward, this invisible reality that gives grace. So the primary effect, the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. The effect of confirmation the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. So at our confirmation, we receive the Holy Spirit as he was received on Pentecost. Other graces. It brings an increase and a deepening of baptismal grace in five ways. 
First of all, it roots us more deeply in divine filiation. It roots us more in this identity that we're sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Number two, it unites us more firmly to Jesus Christ. Number three, it increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. These are all things that were started at our baptism but are made deeper, stronger, more profound. Number four, it unites us more perfectly to the church. And then number five, it gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith, to witness to Christ and to confess the name of Christ boldly and to never be ashamed of the cross. It gives us the power to witness. The Catechism is going to say later in paragraph 1305, which is probably one of the paragraph that moved me most in preparation for this, is the character perfects the common priesthood of the faithful. The confirmed person receives the power to profess the faith in Christ publicly and as it were officially. Confirmation makes us an official evangelist, an official missionary, an official witness. It is our certification, it is the seal, the guarantee that we can be, we are, we are empowered to be a witness. There is a problematic attitude that we see sometimes in confirmation programs that treat confirmation as if it's a graduation. Well, you know, you're in the eighth grade or later. Um, you're completing your you know, religious training. And so, you know, you're off. In some sense, 1305, although, you know, that's a faulty view, this whole idea that once you've received confirmation, you know everything and you're finished, you know, you can proceed. The, um, there is just a slight little grain of truth in the sense that by confirmation, we are officially made witnesses to Jesus Christ. The other part of this invisible grace which we've met, uh, mentioned and which this flows from is this indelible spiritual mark or what we call the character. That's part of the grace. The catechism then backtracks a bit to the outward sign in the sense of who can receive and who can give this sacrament. Every baptized person not yet confirmed can and should receive the sacrament of confirmation. And in fact, um, you know, um, the catechism doesn't mention this, but it is in, I think, in the anointing of the sixth, sixth section. If a child is be under the age of reason so they haven't made their first communion or confirmation. Rather than give it, if they're sick, even terminally ill or seriously ill, 
rather than anointing of the sick, and we're going to talk about why you wouldn't, you would not give anointing to the sick to a child under the age of reason that's been baptized. But you should confirm them. That's the anointing um, that a child under the age of reason receives. Confirmation. Why? Because if perchance they die, we want them to have the fullness of their baptismal graces. There's something about anointing of the sick too and the effects and graces of anointing of the sick which render it not helpful to someone before the age of reason. But I'm not going to give you the answer to that because then you'll come to the anointing of the sick session. We'll talk about that there. However, um, if you don't receive confirmation in Eucharist, your baptism is certainly valid and efficacious. But your Christian initiation is incomplete. In 1307, it kind of points to the age, and here's where it says actually, but in danger of death, children should be confirmed even if they have not yet attained the age of discretion. Now, the age of discretion, and it says for centuries the Latin custom was, has indicated the age of discretion as the reference point for receiving confirmation. The age of discretion, the catechism um, uses this word discretion. Um, the implication is the age of reason, which is the second grade, is when the, the sacrament of confirmation was traditionally given. Just to hit on this again, although confirmation is sometimes called the sacrament of Christian maturity, we must not confuse adult faith with the adult age of natural growth, nor forget that the baptismal grace is a grace of free, unmerited election and does not need ratification to become effective. So the catechism is making an argument, really, that we should not think that you have to be mature in order to receive confirmation. First of all, in some implications, is we're never really mature, fully mature. You know, even adult faith is somehow lacking something. But second is, we believe that the graces of the sacrament are free and unmerited. Even though there are these outward signs and actions and words and gestures and necessary materials, they're not works. This is not Pelagianism. The sacraments are unmerited. It's unmerited grace. It's a free gift. A free application of the grace of Jesus Christ to us. Free and unmerited election. We're reminded of baptism. And the same in some sense with confirmation. You know, the, um, the apostles didn't do anything special to merit Pentecost. It was a free unmerited gift. 
Um, so we shouldn't think, well, you know, um, these, you know, you have to be at least 13 or you have to be at least 14 or 16. You know, there's, you know, there's a certain maturity in those age that you can receive confirmation. I think um, the just the point that the catechism is making is really that the sacrament of confirmation should not be delayed too long, that it should be done earlier um, in childhood, closer to when we give First Communion. Then the catechism will talk about the necessary preparation for um, for confirmation that it requires preparation. Um, it also will say that um, confirmation, in order for us to really be open and to receive the confirmation, we should be in a state of grace. And then candidates for confirmation should have a sponsor to spiritually help them. And ideally, this sponsor is also one of their baptismal godparents. Then finally, the last three paragraphs in this section deal with the minister of confirmation. We really hit this before. The original minister of confirmation is the bishop. In the East, though, it's ordinarily the priest who baptizes you, because in the East, we, they immediately confer confirmation. By the East, of course, I don't mean China or the Philippines or Korea. I mean Eastern Europe, the Middle East, the Eastern churches. In the Latin rite, the ordinary minister of confirmation is the bishop. However, if a Christian is in danger of death, any priest can give him confirmation. Indeed, the church desires that none of her children, even the youngest, should depart this world without having been perfected by the Holy Spirit and the gift of Christ's fullness. Pentecost and the sharing in Christ's anointing by the Holy Spirit is a great gift, and the church wants us to all share in that. And Christ wants us to all share in that. And that, I propose for our reflection, that is the primary reason why Christ instituted the sacrament of confirmation. That we might share in his anointing by the Holy Spirit and the anointing of Pentecost, that each of us have the opportunity to share in that and to receive that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives, and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless, and have a great day.